vaping and the marijuana movement are making headlines. So what does the church say about vices? September is Mental Health Awareness Month. What does this have to do with confession? What do you rank as your life's top priorities? Kids, family, or the faith? And why does the church have so many rules? These topics and more coming up next. Welcome to A View from the Top with Bishop Gregory Parks, Bishop of the Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is a candid and hopeful conversation on current events that affect our church, our community, and our country. Now, here's Bishop Parks and the General Manager of Spirit FM, John Morris. Good to see you again, Bishop. Hey, John. It's great to be with you today. I want to jump right in with some science, morality, and faith topics. I started out by saying vaping and the marijuana movement. I'm telling you what, every time I turn on the news, there is some new study coming out. And the first time I saw vaping, I was coming from a USF football game. I was going through the fast food place, and all of a sudden, billowing smoke came out of the car right in front of me. I thought the car was breaking down. It was three boys in there vaping. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I'm thinking, well, that can't be good for you. And it got me to thinking about, well, why has our society gone this way? Yeah, you know, I I couldn't agree with you more in that, uh, boy, this is a very present topic today. And uh, every time I watch the news, it seems like not a day goes by or two where there's not another story about somebody who's in the hospital or was taken to the ER, uh, a teenager even, a young person whose lungs are are damaged or scarred because of the effects of vaping. And um, the other thing I've noticed, and maybe you've noticed it uh, in your neighborhood or where you live, is, you know, there's a lot of these uh, vaping lounges or storefronts. Yeah, smoke shops, these storefronts that are popping up that offer CBD and vaping and and other words and things. I don't even know what they are, to be be honest. But they're becoming very, very prevalent. I I live off of 4th Street here in St. Petersburg. And I would say with just in the last two years since I have lived here, uh, there's probably 10 different shops that I pass on the way home or coming to the pastoral center that are these smoke shops that offer vaping and other types of, of smoking. Well, now it's become a, a health issue. We're seeing it in the in the evening news where young people, kids and young adults are ending up in the hospital and so forth. And I know you, you said off mic that you've had conversations with some other priests about it. And, you know, it impacts even our Catholic schools. Oh, it sure does. I mean, uh, you know, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe people think it's healthier you know, than smoking. I, I think vaping, if I understand, was was introduced as a way, at least this is what they say, right. of helping people to kind of wean off of smoking. So if they had a desire to stop smoking, it was maybe a way of getting them off of that to, to quit. But what's happened is that through the marketing of these devices and the different flavors that they offer, our young people have really picked up on that. And it's become an epidemic. It's being used, as you said, even in our Catholic schools, or high schools younger, and it's not healthy. We, I, I don't think we fully understand the, the bad health effects of it yet. We're starting to see it with these folks that go to the hospital. They can't breathe or they're in pain. You know, they, they have to intubate them or put them on a breathing machine, and some people have even died because of it. So it, it is a uh, kind of a national health epidemic at the moment. Now, back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, smoking was a popular vice, I'll call it. And as science grew, we determined that smoking was dangerous to your health, could cause cancer. So what does the church say on these kind of things when it comes to, we've got this new product that's out there today, and we already know what's gone on in the past. 
it's not really considered a sin, is it? Well, it could be, and, and the reason I say that is we believe that our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit, right? And our bodies are a gift from God, and they're given to us for a reason, and that's to fulfill His will, to preach the good news, and to be loving towards others and compassionate in our world. So to the extent that we might abuse our bodies by putting things into them that are not good for us, really we're kind of following a path other than what God intended uh, our bodies to be used for. So yeah, I, I would say if, if we're purposely doing something, whether it be alcohol or, or smoking, which could shorten our life or is not good for us, we really need to pray about that and sure. try to determine if we really need to be doing those things or if ultimately they're going to keep us from fulfilling God's will for our lives. I want to stay in the uh, health and, and moral ethics realm. A couple of weeks ago, we saw on the news that a 70-plus-year-old woman in India uh, gave birth to twins. Now you think, okay, how does a 70-year-old woman do this? It was in vitro. And I got a comment from a listener who said, well, you know, the church says that's wrong, so why are you celebrating that? So as a Catholic, how are we supposed to approach, even though the person might be Catholic, that might be in the pew, and they've announced that they couldn't have a child through natural means. They went through in vitro, even though the church says they frown upon that. There's We have teachings on that. You're not allowed to congratulate them? I mean, that, it's kind of odd to me. Of course, we believe that, um, you know, that, that life is a gift from God. And I think the key there is that it's from God. It's given by God and taken away by God. We often say that God is the author of all life. And when we attempt to become the author by using current scientific means or things, advances that are available, in essence, what we're doing is taking the pen out of the author's hands, out of God's hands, and trying to write our own story of life. And um, that would be contrary to what we believe and to what we teach. Now, you might say, well, what about the person that can't have children? Is there anything wrong with somebody serving as a surrogate, you know, through in vitro fertilization? We would say yes, that, that there is, that that's not following God's plan for our lives, that the, the act of reproduction uh, is intended within the, the sacrament of marriage, as we understand it as, as Catholics, and it's to be a, a unitive act between husband and wife, um, which is open to the transmission of life as given by God. And so, again, all these different advances in science, while they may seem to be uh, good <laughs> and to be virtuous, actually are contrary to our beliefs regarding life. And, and yet it works the other side, too. When science has created a pill that you can take to not only prevent pregnancy, but abort a pregnancy. It works the same way, too, as you said, the author of life from beginning to natural end. Yeah, exactly, John. Uh, so, again, we want to be in charge, right? We want to determine <laughs> everything in our lives and think that we're the ones that make those decisions when ultimately it's it's God that does that. You know, I can remember when I was a priest serving in a parish, one of the things I really enjoyed most was uh, marriage preparation you know, sitting down and talking with usually younger couples about their life and about the future. And, you know, you would speak to them about their openness to having children, and, and most were open to having children. But some would say something like, well, in the future, 
you know, I want to wait 10 years, you know, <laughs> before, and before so we have children. To say? Well, what I, I would say is, uh, you know, I try to explain to them and share with them our, our teachings on life and, you know, and obviously on, on ways that life is, is prevented through the use of contraception and so forth and why that's contrary to what we believe and to God's plan. But also the reality is what makes somebody think that in 10 years that they're going to be able to have children, you know, again, we want to be the ones that determine everything, and that may not be God's plan for and our lives. Really, that goes back to original sin. We want to control everything. Where We have our, our vanity. It's about us, and things can deteriorate quickly on our selfish nature of trying to set the timetable when it's convenient for ourselves. Right. Again, that's that struggle for freedom, right? We feel that, you know, as long as we're in the driver's seat, you know, we're in charge and nobody's going to tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah. And uh, ultimately, as, as, as Catholics, as, you know, as Christians, we believe that we're never more free than, than when we follow God's law and, and try to do his will in our lives. Because when we do that, we don't become enslaved to sin or to those things that aren't good for us. Fall into that depths of sin and we realize that the repercussions of our sinful acts we feel like we need to return to God, and that opens the door for reconciliation and confession. Um, and this month, September, is Mental Health Awareness Month. And I know that people that go to confession sometimes are struggling with, with mental health issues, be it you know, contemplating suicide to um, maybe abuse in the home, that kind of thing, where they need counseling. Can a priest refer outside counseling in the confessional? Yeah, we, we sure can, and, and very often we'll do that, particularly if it, it seems that somebody needs a little bit more in-depth discussion, you know, or treatment of whatever they're, they need to talk about. One of the things we learn as priests is uh, to do no harm. <laughs> so we, we never want to go beyond the bounds of what we're qualified or trained to do in terms of counseling. And uh, in the confessional, because we're often dealing with very serious issues, and as you said, sometimes mental health issues, uh, people's safety. We want to do what's best for the person. The sacrament of confession is a healing sacrament. And so whatever we can do as priests to promote healing and to forgive sin, obviously, but going forward to try to help that person, the penitent, we try to do. And I would always have a list of um, Catholic, uh, both Catholic therapists or counselors, as well as non-Catholic ones, if people prefer to, to go that route. But yes, we, we can suggest that, and that is very often what happens. You mentioned in a program, I think it was last year when we were talking about confession, that when you were in seminary, you got to do practice confessions. We did. Were there instances in the confessional in that practice where you were trained to recognize, okay, this is a spiritual issue, and this is someone that has a that's mentally unstable. Y'all practice that at all, or we do we do yeah, we we certainly do, and <laughs> not to laugh, but uh, a lot of times the professors or those that were acting as the penitent, so like we were practicing or trying to be the priest in that situation they try to trip us up. So they give us very difficult situations to deal with. But yeah, those are things that would come up in those practical practicums. And they do come up in reality in the confessional every day. One of the things that we always have to consider as priests, and this is especially the case in larger parishes, is time. You know, you're in the confessional 30 minutes or an hour before Mass. 
And the reality is that you have a limited amount of time to celebrate that sacrament. Some parishes offer confession on a more frequent basis, even every day. You can always contact the parish if you need to see a priest for the sacrament, and they'd be very happy to meet with you uh, outside of the normal scheduled times. Okay, now this is a sort of a trivial question. We sometimes hear about this usually every Lent because confessions are a big, there's always a big push. We've heard about drive-through confessions. Someone asked me this the other day. Because we have the technology of video, can you do a video confession? Has the church allowed that yet, or has it ever been discussed? Yeah, not not to my knowledge. Uh, we, we haven't gone there. We, we do still believe in what we would call auricular confession, which is where it's kind of one-on-one. So there's a, a penitent who's speaking and a priest who's listening. And, and that contact, even that even if it's uh, behind the screen, which is always an option as well, still being present there. And that's to preserve the privacy and, um, and I think, John, the dignity of the sacrament. Well, see, yeah, you know? that's what I think, too. Because of the, the world we live in today, you know, to, to be able to, you know, everything is, is real time. So it's, it's not like you're videotaping or you're doing it by phone, you can't see them. But there's something about being in that physical presence where you can, you know, uh, lay hands on or, or breathe the same air. And, and, and it's, it's that physical presence that, that's you know, important. You're, well, you're exactly right. And, you know, you mentioned video. I mean, today with social media, could you, could you imagine no, I if somehow imagine. somebody hacked your computer or got into to that video and oh. started, you know, just posting things online, it, w- it would be very embarrassing scandalous. and scandalous. It'd be a disaster. So, so no, we we don't do drive-by confessions. Uh, I guess, and I don't ever see that happening. I I hope not. Again, just to to maintain the dignity and the sanctity of the sacrament. And it's such a beautiful sacrament too. That that if you haven't been in a long time, I would highly encourage you to take the opportunity to, to do so. That's for sure. You don't have to wait till Christmas or Easter to, to go to confession. Uh, it's available in our parishes every week, or as I said, even every day, uh, as long as there's a priest available. For this next segment of our show, Bishop, I want to look at the gospel reading for this weekend. For this Sunday's gospel, uh, talking about priorities in life. And in Luke chapter 16, uh, Jesus talks about prioritizing those things, taking care of the things that are large matters and small matters. And sometimes as, you know, parishioners, we get those kind of things mixed up. It seems like work gets in the way on Sundays. Ball games get in the way on Sundays. Even our own, hey, I've got to do my fantasy football. And yet that's not going to get you to heaven. No. Funny, I I saw on uh, social media, I think it was on Facebook recently, there was a picture posted of a, a man sitting in a football stadium and the place was just covered in snow. I mean, it was like uh-huh. there was a blizzard, but they still had the game, and there's snow in the aisles, there's snow on the chairs. He's got snow all over him. And I think the caption was, and you can't get to Mass on Sunday. That's, <laughs> you know? that's a great point, because uh, our, last, our last conversation we had was talking about storms and yeah. getting to Mass. Yeah, so I just thought <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny when I saw that. But but it is true. We, we have priorities. We have things that we consider in our lives to be more important than others. We need to have spiritual priorities and to recognize that in many ways, uh, those are the most important because they keep us balanced and they keep us in communion with God. As I've said before, I, I often think of like going to church, coming to Mass on Sunday or Saturday evening as kind of like being the bookends to the week. 
So that's how you start your right. week. That's how you end your week. You begin and you end with God. And that's a good way to start and begin. I know that for my family and I, it's rare these days, and my kids are in their early 20s now, to be able to have dinner together. But it's always a blessing when the four of us can sit down and have a meal and actually talk about our week, even if it's just for 15 minutes. I mean, there's a real blessing there, and, and I think we've kind of lost that in our society today. Yeah, I think, I think we have, and um, I think the first thing that comes to mind uh, to me, John, is, is like Mother's Day or Father's Day. You know, we spend so much time thinking about gifts, like what am I going to get mom, what am I going to get dad? Tell you what, they, I'm sure they enjoy the gifts, but probably the greatest gift is just the time with you, you know, to have that time with your children, particularly if they're adults, and to just sit down and talk. You know, put the cell phones down, <laughs> put that stuff away, and, and just have a conversation, share your lives, express concern for each other, and say, how are things going, and express our love for each other. That's so important to do. When you were a kid growing up, y'all had good family time together, I'm assuming, but I know your mom was busy with church activities, too, at odd times. Mom and dad were both always very involved in our parish growing up when we were when we were younger, one of my memories, though, is Sunday afternoon. Sunday was, of course, this would be back in the 70s at that time, but Sunday was still very much of a holy, a sacred day, the Lord's Day, and uh, wasn't a, there weren't a lot of stores that were open even at that time, so people weren't really working. But Sunday in our house was a, a day when we always had a nice meal together. What I remember is we'd sit in the dining room. So, so during the week we'd be in the kitchen. We had a table, a kitchen table in there, uh, but we had a more formal kind of setting in the dining room. And Sunday afternoons, kind of have a late Sunday afternoon right. dinner together as a family. Maybe I, I didn't always appreciate it when I was, you know, eight years old sure. or nine or ten. But certainly looking back, it's something I remember. And I know that they appreciated that too. Uh, you know, a big treat in the Morris household when I was a kid was. We were either going to go to Morrison's or Piccadilly, one of those buffets. You ever did you ever do that when you were a kid? <laughs> we sure did. I I don't know that we had those up in New York, John. But, but you uh, had something. <laughs> but the, had the, the, the hook for these places was you get your tray, and the first thing it's not the meat and potatoes; it's yeah. the big desserts, yeah. the pricey desserts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> my brother and I would just bullet them off. <laughs> yeah, we'd uh, well something we'd do as kind of a treat. It would be if we were out shopping or doing errands as a family and whatnot. Mom and dad would take us to friendlies. You know, we get some ice cream, okay. you know, and uh, that was always kind of an enjoyable thing oh, to yeah, do. I, yeah. The other thing I remember is uh, coming home in the afternoon from school. So about three o'clock, 3.30. My mom wasn't working at the time. Uh, this was kind of when we were in grade school early mm-hmm. on. But when we got home, she'd always have a snack for us. Nice. And we'd sit down in the kitchen and she'd get us a uh, you know, cupcake or something like that. And then she'd kind of say, how was your day and how was school? Fine. And, you know, <laughs> I don't remember uh, saying that, John. <laughs> but, but, you know, we talk about things and what we did and so forth. So those yeah. are, are good memories. And, gosh, I hope, uh, hope we're not losing that. Yeah. Those are shows like uh, the Andy Griffith show is always one of my favorites, taking you back to uh, just simpler times with good lessons. Bishop, before we wrap up the program today, I had a question from a friend of mine who's not really a full-on, I won't call him a practicing Christian. He, he might go to church, uh, you know, once a year at Christmas or, you know, a funeral or something like that. And uh, we were on a hunting trip one time, and he asked me, why does the church have so many rules? 
<laughs> that's a really good question. And it's a broad and, one, too. But it does seem, and that's something people often think about when they think about the Catholic Church, is it's a, a church of rules. And uh, what I would say, John, is that uh, remember that God gave us laws, right? So he gave us rules or laws to follow the Ten Commandments. And his reason for doing that was to help to keep the people in line with his covenant. So these laws or these rules that we have in our church, these moral teachings are not meant to limit our freedom, but rather meant to amplify it. So by that, I mean that rather than saying I'm limited by all these different rules, we should say I'm never more free than when I follow God's law because I don't become attached to things in the world that aren't good for me. You know, I stay on the path that God set before me, and uh, that is ultimately a path that leads to heaven and to eternal happiness. When the young man uh, says, what do I need to do to inherit the kingdom? Love God with all your mind, soul, heart, and strength. You know, it's not a, you can't do that. It's, this is what you need to do, and love your neighbor as yourself. So it's stated in a very proactive way, not a, again, not a limiting way or a negative way, but in a very positive way, this is how you should live your life, right? Right. And that's, uh, that's what our Lord wants us to do, is to, to live our lives. He gives us the gift of life, gives us free will, the ability to choose, but he also gives us a roadmap uh, of how to get to the kingdom. And that's what we should all try to do, is to follow that roadmap. As we close up our time together today, would you lead us in a prayer that will help us to be mindful of that roadmap, to to be open to the, instead of the rules of the faith, the beauty of the faith? Of course. So God, our Father, we always praise you and thank you for the gift of life, for creating us, for calling us into being, and for being with us each and every day of our lives. We pray that we may remain open to you and to having a relationship with you. For we know that when we follow you, we find life, and we live life to the full. We ask all of these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. For more with Bishop Parks, including past programs, his social media accounts, and ways to subscribe to this podcast, visit dosp.org slash bishop. A View from the Top is a production of Spirit FM 90.5 and the Communications Office of the Catholic Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is made possible by the annual Pastoral Appeal and listeners like you. Thank you for your support.